What we're going to talk about is forgiveness. And today's Torah portion is the first place in Scripture that the word forgiveness is used. Furthermore, and this is from Jonathan Sachs, he says this is the first time in human history that forgiveness has been broached. For those of you who read old stuff, you will find things that are translated as forgiveness, but that isn't what they mean. There's a Greek word that's often translated as forgiveness, and it really doesn't mean forgiveness at all. What it means is appeasement. And what's the difference? Every society needs a way to avoid drawing swords on each other. Otherwise, 50% of the population dies every day. So the way most of the world does it, and the way it has been done before the Torah, is when someone steps on someone else's toes, there's very often an elaborate ritual that you go through to avoid bloodshed. You may say, I didn't do it. The thing that happened to you had nothing to do with me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I'm innocent because I didn't do it. That, that's one way to diffuse it. Or I did it, but it was an accident. I couldn't help it. There was nothing malicious in what I did. It's accidental. And so in a sense, I am not disrespecting you in any way. It's just something that unavoidably happened, so you don't need to kill me here, or we don't need to have a duel because I have not deliberately stepped on you. Next one is, I did it, but it's not that big a deal. What happened here is not worth fighting over. Yeah, I did it, but it just didn't need a big deal. The next one is, I did it, but I'm too valuable to kill. The example would be Pharaoh with the butler and the baker. Whatever they had done, they apparently had done, and Pharaoh decided that the butler was too valuable to kill. Did not decide the same thing about the baker. In other words, our relationship is such, and my value to you is such, that we need to figure out a way to work this out without killing each other. And then the last one is your ritual humiliation, which is to say, I did it, I am going to bow my face to the ground seven times. I am going to get down on my hands and knees in front of you. I am going to demonstrate that I am not a threat. Where did we see that? When Jacob goes back to meet his brother after coming back from Haran, you have what's essentially a ritual humiliation. What Jacob does is he sends all sorts of gifts to his brother bows himself down seven times, has all of his family bow down, comes up to Esau and says, I've wronged you, I am humbling myself before you, you don't need to kill me. That's what that conversation is all about. Those techniques are appeasement techniques. There's nothing to do with forgiveness there. It is simply how do we avoid killing each other when we get crosswise. And traditional societies do some variation of what I have just described. One of the things I dearly love are old samurai movies from the 50s. But you can see in those old movies this society that doesn't know forgiveness. And so there's this very, very elaborate social construct. And if everybody behaves according to the social construct, 
then there's a real good chance that we don't have to kill each other. The dominant emotion in a society that doesn't know forgiveness is shame. And you see that in the garden in Genesis. What happens when the first couple eats of the forbidden tree? They knew they were naked. They were ashamed. They tried to hide. And shame, it's like a stain on your outside. In a society like that, if you are shamed, your only response is to hide. There's no forgiveness. And by the way, that's where our society is going right now where they go back and find your old emails and Twitter stream and all that kind of stuff and you get this ritual shaming where there's no forgiveness. There's no possibility of any forgiveness. That's a shame-based society and, and by the way, it's a terrible society. The alternative to shame is guilt. Shame is on the outside, guilt is on the inside. So when we do something that we had not to do, you certainly may initially feel ashamed if somebody finds out about it, but the real dominant thing is guilt. I have done something wrong here, I have wronged you in some way, and I am internally driven, not so much driven by the fact that somebody may find out, I'm driven by my conscience, that I need to do something about that. Now, the mechanism that the Torah provides in lieu of this appeasement of anger is forgiveness. And as I said initially, and I'm going by Rabbi Sachs's scholarship, but he's pretty sharp, so I think it's probably okay, that Judaism is the first society in human history that changes from shame to guilt. And it's the first society in human history where forgiveness becomes possible. See, the thing about shame is you never get rid of it. Anybody here come from a family? How many times when you get together with your brothers or sisters that you haven't seen for 20 years, will they remind you of something that you did when you were six? That's shame. They are never going to let you forget whatever that was. That has attached to you as a permanent stain, and every time you are in their presence, that story will come up. It always does. That's shame. That's not forgiveness. Because with forgiveness, you can get rid of it, with shame, you can't. And that's the difference, is it can be gotten rid of. First off, we need to go through repentance, teshuva. And where's the first instance of repentance in Scripture? Joseph's brothers and Judah. Because if you go back to Genesis 42, the first thing they do is they acknowledge what they did was wrong. So Genesis 42:21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we would not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So the first thing that they do is they acknowledge that what they had done is wrong. In 44.16, this is after Benjamin has been framed with the cup and they've been hauled back in front of Joseph, still don't know who Joseph is. So Judah then steps up and said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup was found. So what Judah is doing is accepting responsibility. And then the next thing he does is he demonstrates behavioral change. Because he doesn't know it's Joseph. 
But what he is essentially saying to Joseph is, I am not the same guy that threw you into a pit. And he says that in 44.33. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. So the three elements of teshuva, repentance, are acknowledge what you've done is wrong, confess, which is to say accept responsibility for whatever it was you did, and then three is demonstrate that that is not you anymore, that you've changed. And when Judah completes that last step, essentially Joseph forgives him. Now, he doesn't use the word forgiveness in Genesis 44. He doesn't use it until Genesis 50, which is today's Torah portion. But essentially at that point, Joseph has accepted the request for forgiveness from Judah, and he has acknowledged it. And what we see in today's Torah portion, he has essentially put the incident out of his mind. He is not going through the next however many years until his father dies, scheming and stewing about what he's going to do about his brothers who sold him into slavery. It's gone. He's forgiven. He is free. And the key here to forgiveness is the one who is freed is the one who is hurt. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting, notice that the brothers don't panic until their father dies. Where else do we see that? Jacob and Esau. Remember, when Jacob steals the blessing, what does Esau say? The time of mourning for my father is approaching. And as soon as my father's out of the way, I'm going to kill that little so-and-so. So, runs in the family. While dad is alive, there is some sort of protection for the errant brother. But boy, once dad's out of the way, all bets are off. And that would be part of the family history. So when Jacob dies in today's Torah portion, you can just see the brothers playing back the film and saying, oh, this is what happened with Uncle Esau. And now dad's gone and we have no more protection. Look at what they say. Genesis 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. This is appeasement. They use the word forgive, but I don't know that they understand it at that point. They may, but they are offering to be his servants at this point, which is the same thing that Jacob did with Esau. And by the way, God doesn't forgive anybody before now. Remember, he throws Adam and Eve out of the pool. And he puts a mark on Cain so that Cain doesn't get killed, but there's no forgiveness. He doesn't forgive him. There's no forgiveness of anybody up until this point in Scripture. This is where it starts. If you look back on Genesis, what you have are a series of stories about rivalries between brothers. And so the book ends with reconciliation and forgiveness between brothers. And once that is established, then you can step forward and you can tell the story of the nation that comes from those brothers. Because we've got the sibling rivalry part of it 
sort of ironed out. I mean, it, it obviously shows up in other stories, but it's ironed out at this point, and now we can step off and talk about the nation as opposed to the brothers and their interfamilial squabbles. So let's talk about forgiveness. How do we get there? I did a sermon on this a couple years ago, and I quoted a guy by the name of Dr. Stephen Marmer. He's UCLA, I don't know what he does. His article is on Aish, if you want to look it up. His last name is M-A-R-M-E-R, and you can go to Aish and look up Marmer and you'll find it if you want it. His comment is that the word forgiveness carries too much baggage. It's too hard, a word. So what he does is he breaks it out into three sub-concepts that are perhaps useful practically. And understand that the goal of forgiveness is to get rid of the hurt that has been done to the one who forgives and then to allow the community to come back together or a relationship perhaps to be reestablished. So the first type is what he calls exoneration. And what exoneration does is it wipes the slate clean. It is as if the offense had never happened. And it restores the relationship to a full state of innocence. So for example, if the perp is a child and doesn't have full understanding yet, when your two-year-old proceeds to spread jam on the cat, he's a two-year-old, so you'll forgive him. It may continue to be one of those stories that gets told at family reunions, but he gets forgiven. So the first condition for exoneration is if it's a genuine accident. Nobody's to blame. It's just a genuine accident. Nobody was trying to injure anybody. Nobody was trying to disrespect anybody. It's just an accident. And then the second one is someone who doesn't understand what he did and whom you love. Husband and wife do this with each other all the time. One of us will say or do something without intending any malice whatsoever, and it will be taken by the recipient as injurious. And so forgiveness is entirely appropriate here. Whoever did it will say, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea that you were sensitive about that. I had no intention whatsoever of harming you or hurting you or causing you distress. Please forgive me. So the perp can be exonerated. Conditions are, the perp is sorry. When it's brought to his attention, there's an immediate expression of regret. I didn't mean to do that, I'm sorry. Takes full responsibility, no excuses. Asks for forgiveness, and then gives an assurance that it's not gonna be repeated. Under those circumstances, exoneration is the proper response, which is to say, you put it behind you, it's gone forever, never comes up again, and if you can't do that, there's a problem with you. If under the circumstances I have just outlined, you cannot forgive, you're the one that has the problem. It's important to understand that. Now, the second one is what he calls forbearance, and this is more complex. You may get a partial apology. One of these apologies, yeah, but, I did it, but, and a mingling, if you will, of an expression of sorrow with, you were partially to blame him. You got some responsibility for this, not just me. Or the apology doesn't seem sincere. We all have social antenna. Sorry. And there's no repentance there whatsoever. So for forbearance, first thing you got to do is cease dwelling on the offense. Because if you continue to dwell on the offense, you keep getting injured. 
Do away with grudges and fantasies of revenge. Anybody ever have a fantasy of revenge? But you can maintain a degree of watchfulness. You can watch the other person because it isn't real clear that you had genuine repentance and it isn't real clear that this won't happen again. So as you go through life, you're forbearing, which is to say, okay, we're going to continue living together, we're going to continue going to the same church, whatever it is, and I'm going to continue interacting with you and we may even sit down to lunch together. I don't completely trust you. But I have given up my fantasies of killing you. I'm not going to carry in my spirit this desire to do you reciprocal harm. I'm going to let go of that. I'm not going to completely trust you necessarily, but I'm not going to harbor a grudge, if you will. This allows you to maintain relationships with imperfect people who are important to you. This may be reasons why you cannot sever the relationship and you need to get along with this person. So what we're talking about here is what do you do for your own spiritual well-being? You don't dwell on it and you don't harbor fantasies of revenge because those, when you age them long enough, become bitterness and when bitterness seeps in, it's very, very destructive to you. You have no control over what happens in the other person's heart. As I am fond of saying, it is not the case that you can stick a screwdriver in his ear and give it a quarter turn and adjust it. So the only one you can ultimately affect is yourself. Now the thing about forbearance is with time and good behavior, it may graduate into exoneration. Over a period of time, if the behavior doesn't repeat, you you may never get this, oh my gosh, I did something horrible 20 years ago, please forgive me. But in that 20-year period, you may come to the point where you realize that the person is different now. And forbearance can graduate, if you will, into exoneration. That's possible. And then the final one is release. And in the case of release, the offender does not acknowledge or take responsibility for the offense. See, this is Joseph's case while he's alone in Egypt. His brothers have not in any way atoned or expressed regret for what they did. The offender may be missing or dead. This would be the case with a a child who has a bad relation with a parent and then the parent dies. There's no way to go back and fix that. And the other thing is if there is an apology it's obviously insincere. That's part of it. And what release does not do is it doesn't exonerate the offender. You do not say you're innocent because that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't require forbearance and it doesn't require that you continue the relationship. The person may be so toxic that I don't really want to be around you anymore. What release does demand is that you don't define yourself by what hurts you. How many people do you know that say, I am a survivor of? Well, what you're doing is you're carrying this around as a badge. It's sort of like the rhyme of the ancient mariner where they hung the albatross around his neck. And so if you define yourself in terms of this injury that was done to you, you never get rid of it. You don't define yourself by your injury. You don't dwell on the negative things that have happened. That's hard, especially when the negative things that have happened are still fresh in your mind. But what will happen is you will get a spirit of resentment or a spirit of anger that will attach to that and will just take you off into Neverland without any problem whatsoever. So you can't dwell on what's happened. And you've got to release 
the negative and release your preoccupation with the stuff that's happened. And remember, part of this is you are not required to continue the relationship. That's forbearance, where you are required to continue the relationship. Here you're not. You can if you choose, but you don't have to. What is required for this to work is you cannot define yourself by the bad behavior. And this is especially true of things like children who have been abused, spouses who have been abused, sexual harassment in the workplace, unjust discrimination, all sorts of things that happen among people. If you define yourself that way, what you do is you lock yourself into the situation. And similarly, you must cease to dwell on it. And that's going to take a while. That is not something that you can just say, oh, la, 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 it's all gone, because we're not wired that way. It takes time, and you have to work at that. The deal here is this is all from perspective of the victim, which is to say, what do you have to do under each circumstance in order to resume a healthy life? Exoneration. You have to realize that you have a sincere apology or the person was not responsible or something like that, and you've got to put it behind you. And the relationship is then restored to innocence. Forbearance, okay, not quite so clean, but I still got to live with this person or work with this person or be in the same church with this person, so we got to figure out a way to get along. And figuring out a way to get along does not involve me lying in wait, waiting for him to go by so I can tommyhawk him in the back of the head. That isn't part of getting along, so you got to release that, get rid of that stuff. And then the release one is you may choose not to have any more to do with the person. You may, your choice, not his. And in any case, you have got to give up defining yourself by what happened to you. Because everybody has had nasty stuff happen to them. It's part of being human. And if you define yourself by the nasty stuff that's happened to you, you never grow and you never get free. Sort of a laundry list here of barriers, things that prevent you from getting into this. First one is failure to forgive because the problem's with you. Remember I said back at the beginning, if you have a situation where the perp either didn't realize what was happening or generally asks for forgiveness and genuinely apologizes and take responsibility, if you can't forgive at that point, you're the problem, not him. He's done what he needs to do. Pride. How dare anybody do that to me, the most important person in the world? That's just totally unforgivable that somebody should do something like that to me. Fear that you're afraid it's going to happen again. Having been damaged once, it's very easy to think that it could happen again, and certainly it can. A sense of justice, which is to say, he hasn't suffered enough for what he did to me. This happens in marriages a lot. And the problem with that is it's unreliable because it's driven by pride. And slights to you always take on a much larger dimension than they perhaps warrant. And that, by the way, is why we have impartial judges. When two people are at odds with each other, you go before a judge who theoretically is not involved with either one of you, and the judge can look at two of you and say, it ain't that big a deal. Or, it is a big deal, and this is what you need to do to fix it. But depending on the two parties to come to that agreement is difficult because their pride is involved, which is why we have a neutral judge. And then habit. You keep finding yourself in the same situation, there's a problem. And the problem is not necessarily with the one that keeps hurting you. You may have fallen into a habitual relationship. 
one last thing, and this is really important. Repentance and forgiveness are built into the structure of the universe. They are the way God designed the system. And the reason for that is we are not born perfect. And the whole point is, if you are not born perfect, what is going to happen is you are going to mess up. It's going to happen. And if there's no way for you to recover from messing up, then God is very quickly going to run out of people. We are designed to learn iteratively. We are designed to make mistakes, learn from our mistakes, grow a little bit, make another mistake, grow a little bit more, and so forth. And you're designed to work your way up through this life. If repentance and forgiveness were not possible, that scenario could not work. So the idea that you have this wrathful God that is sitting up there with his finger over the smite button, just waiting for you to go slightly astray, is nonsense. And there are religions that believe that. Judaism and mainstream Christianity do not. This is part of the design of the system. It is not something that Jesus just discovered. It's there from the beginning. It always has been. And Yeshua is simply the outworking of that and the sacrifice that serves to cover sin with blood. But he didn't invent repentance and he didn't invent forgiveness. That's far before his birth. And as we talk about these things, what I'm trying to do is give you a structure to think about it. I am not in any way suggesting that this is just, we'll go down and we'll do the checklist and it's all done. That isn't the way people work. But it helps to have a structure that you can put this stuff into so you can figure out what kind of a relationship you want. And that's what I'm trying to do here.